Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. All right, thanks. Uh, those who are going to Little Worship can be dismissed at this time, and if you're staying uh, in here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles, or just uh, you could also read along in the bulletin, uh, Jude, verses 10 through 16. Um, if you're uh, visiting with us this morning, uh, particularly want to welcome you, uh, glad you're here. Um, you're, you're, you're visiting with us this morning kind of in the middle of a series uh, that we're, we're doing through Jude. And uh, the problem with Jude is it's just one, I mean, it's just one chapter, it's just one page in the Bible. And so when you think about teaching through it, at least I did, I was like, all right, am I going to do this in one sermon or in 10 sermons? You know, because it's like you either hit the big picture or then you got to get into the, down into the nitty gritty of it. Um, so here we are, this is our fourth week in Jude. And what we're finding is that God is using Jude to wake us up, right? Uh, that Jude initially, as we found, Jude initially, um, Jude initially wanted to encourage uh, the believers. Like his purpose was to build up and to affirm and to, uh, to talk about unity and the common salvation that we have in Jesus. But something more important came up. And, and many hear uh, that and say, well, what could be more important than affirming someone? Uh, what could be more important than encouraging someone? Especially in today's world. But Jude wants us to see that all of that is secondary. That the gospel is the main thing, and by keeping it the main thing, then encouragement and then building up will happen. You know, the encouragement is just a byproduct of the gospel, because we can't hear, fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Like, you can't hear things like that and not be built up. And since the gospel is the main thing, Jude pivots to remind us of of. Of that before we uplift anyone, before we encourage anyone, we're first called to contend for the faith. We're, we're first called to go to the mat over the gospel. And so he reminds us that um, because today, just like then, false teachers have crept in. And as we've said, they don't have horns and they probably don't hiss, um, but they fit right in. But what they believe and what they teach and how they live their lives is not the good, the true, or the beautiful, uh, nor historic gospel. And so, just to bring some gravity to this, it, like this isn't theological knowledge. Like we're not doing this so that we can be prideful, so that we can go out and point at other churches and be like, "Y'all are false teachers. Y'all are false teachers. Y'all are false teachers." I hope we see that this is way more practical. Like, like this is about our souls and the souls of our children the souls of our friends, um, because right now in the American church, uh, we're in the middle of a wave of believers um, or members walking away from the faith. Um, but after the fact, often what we find is what they've, and they you know, call it deconstructing, that's kind of the, the, the popular thing to do these days. Um, but what we find is after the fact, we find that what they have deconstructed from like, isn't even the gospel. You know, I hear some of the things that they grew up hearing in sermons, and I think, like, I'd walk away from that too. Like, that's, that's not even the historic gospel of grace. Once for all delivered to the saints. So it reminds me of a quote a friend of mine posted. He says, uh, 
rejecting all of Christianity because of what you've seen in 21st century American fundamentalism is like rejecting all music because of that experience you had at a Nickelback concert. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, maybe it's not the music's fault. Maybe it's just Nickelback. You know, uh, maybe it's not the church's fault. Um, maybe it's just like a few churches that have gotten the gospel wrong. So this is, look, this is more important than we think. The Bible tells us that once a false teacher or a false teaching has been identified, that we're called to remove them or at least to, um, to, to seek to shield ourselves from its influence. And so Paul told Timothy to flee these things, you know, to, to run, to flee. And then Jude calls us to contend. So when it comes to false gospels, you know, the call that we find in the Bible is either fight, you stand your ground and fight against it, or you fly, you know, you, you flee it. But one thing we can't do is freeze and just do nothing, uh, which unfortunately is what many, many people end up doing because, you know, we like to be nice and it'd be awkward. And, um, and so I think it's really easy to underestimate the impact that sitting under bad teaching has on our souls. It's worse than sitting under no teaching at all. I mean, you're better not even coming to church than coming and sitting under false teaching. And since this is so insidious for the last two weeks, Jude has been helping us learn how to spot the wolves in, in the flock um, and what to be aware of. And so that's what he's going to continue doing this morning as well. So with all that said, uh, this is God's word, Jude 10 through 16. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain, and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reeves at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. It's God's word. Let's pray. Oh, Father, this week, and you know better than even we do, that we have been busy with many things, many good things, and maybe some not-so-good things. Uh, but this morning, may you cause us to put down the dishes, put down the broken fridge, put down the whatever we're worrying about for this week, and just sit at your feet. So the Holy Spirit, come and illuminate this passage to us, and we ask this in Christ. Amen. So in today's lesson on how to spot a sheep, or how to spot a sheep, how to spot a wolf, um, Jude first lets us in on how they think. He shows us in verse 10 that all they have is their own understanding. 
Uh, and, and this taps into what Lee read this morning from 1 Corinthians, but there Paul wrote that there are two types of wisdom, you know, at the end of the day, that there is the wisdom of this age, and, and unbelievers, like, that's all they have. That's all you can have as an unbeliever. Um, the only thing an unbeliever can intuit is, is what comes from the natural world. Um, but Paul says that there's a second wisdom, that there's a, a secret, a, a hidden wisdom that comes from God. And when the Spirit comes, and, and this is for those of you who are believers, this is what causes you to hear the gospel and be like, whoa, that is the best thing. Um, when, when the Spirit comes, the scales fall off our eyes, and, and, and instead of only seeing the natural world, we see beyond the natural world to our Creator, it, it, how everything points us to our Savior, uh, which means you know, this isn't really a matter of training necessarily. This is first a, a spiritual issue. So before anyone can grasp the beauty of the gospel, they first have to be captured by God. And so Jesus called this being born again. And so without this you know, deeper spiritual wisdom, all these false teachers have to offer is the wisdom of the world. You know, self-help sermons, um, self-help talks, which then leads to Jude's second lesson in, in how to spot a wolf. Um, Jude, like he did last week, he reaches way back into Jewish history to give some examples of what it looks like when people teach the wisdom of the world in, in the church. And, and first... This second point, but first sub-point of second point. Um, Jude says, false teachers walk in the way of Cain. Walk in the way of Cain. Well, in Genesis, we find that there is, uh, you know, that Cain is, is Adam and Eve's firstborn son, and Cain is a, a worker of the ground. He's a planter. Uh, his brother Abel is a shepherd. And when it came time to worship, we're told that by faith, Abel brought God essentially the pick of the flock, uh, the fat portions but in Genesis, you get the sense that when it came to worship, Cain was kind of indifferent, um, which is why God didn't accept Cain's offering. I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily that a sheep was better than the grain, but there, you know, there was that blood sacrifice that was required in faith. But the main part was, was the heart behind it, that, that Cain didn't come in faith. Instead of seeing God as set apart and worthy of all like Abel did, Cain just, I mean, he just went through the motions it was kind of like just a transaction to him. It's like, this is kind of what I'm supposed to do, I guess. And God, he's, apparently he wants something. I guess I'll just give him this. And again, just like we talked about with tithing several weeks ago, like God doesn't need our money. Um, but he wants your heart. God doesn't need that grain. He, he wanted Cain's heart. And so a heart that, that understands God's immense grace and love will overflow in, in offering. Because that's an opportunity to worship. It's an opportunity to, res to respond. But, but Cain just saw this as a business transaction. Um, God, I do something for you. You do something for me. You know, I scratch your back. You scratch mine. And, but the gospel says that, that, and we know this, we can't earn God's blessing. Like We can't earn God's smile. Like The only reason we have that is because of his grace to us in Jesus Christ. As we mentioned in Malachi, that, that he loves us because he loves us because he loves us. What? Just because. Well, as we, we said, God didn't accept Cain's offering, which then, as, you, as we read, it gave way to, to jealousy and anger and hatred and then murder. And, and I think about this. Oh, how this can be found in the church today. Um, 
you know, thinking that we can, by, by one, thinking that we can kind of work our way into heaven or, or earn our way into God's favor. We do certain things, God will, will like us, that if our good outweighs our bad, that at the end of the day, we'll make it into heaven. Or, you know, two, thinking that it's a business transaction, right? It's, God, I do this for you, then, then you owe me this. It's, it's that song we talk about, God, I start walking your way, you start walking mine, we meet in the middle, and it's a beautiful life. Um, but then when God doesn't appear to do that, you do your, quote, part, and God doesn't seem to hold to his end of the bargain, we become angry because we, we, we think we're entitled to something. But here's the gospel. God is God, and we're not. And we can't do enough. We can't do enough on our own to ever earn his favor. And so the gospel says that we come by grace or we don't come at all. And we don't want entitlement because the only thing we're entitled to is hell, is death. Um, so trust me, you want, you want grace. Okay? A second example, uh, Jude says that false teachers abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Okay, what's that mean? Well, in Numbers, we learn of this time, this occasion where, where Israel was still in the wilderness, and some of the local kings didn't like the idea that, that they had all these people were up in their neighborhood. And so Balak, the king of Moab, reached out to this prophet named Balaam, and he wanted to pay Balaam to go pronounce a curse over Israel so they'd kind of leave, you know, just kind of go clean, clean up the streets. Um, and at first, Balaam refused to do so. I can't do that. I can't go against the Lord. But, but then the king of Moab sent princes and, and basically their version of celebrities to kind of you know, influence him to, to do something, to do the curse. And instead of, you know, instead of Balaam calling an Uber and sending them home, instead of fleeing that temptation, Balaam, he said, why don't y'all spend the night? Let, let, me, let me sleep on it. And it was at that point that greed began overpowering his, his desire to obey. Um, I, I mean, look, Balaam was, Balak was going to give him all this money, all, this, all these things. All he had to do was pronounce a little curse. And so that night, God spoke to Balaam. God, God told Balaam, look, Balaam, if the men come to you in the morning calling you to go, well, then go with them. Um, well, fast forward to the morning. Balaam woke up. He very excitedly saddled his donkey, and he went with the princes of Moab off to curse Israel. And then the very next verse in Numbers says, but God's anger was kindled against Balaam because he went. And, and you know, people read that and are often bothered because it sounds like God is this like temperamental teenager. Like, well, well, can I go or not? I mean, which, which one is it? But it's easy to miss this, and like, like this is the point Judah's making. It's easy to read God's instruction to Balaam and miss that small two-letter word, if. You know, God said, if the men come to you in the morning and they ask you again, then go with them. But as we see in Numbers, the men never came to Balaam. Uh, Balaam was so excited. He's like, I'm doing this anyway. He was so excited, they jumped up, saddled his donkey, gone. So excited at the prospect of making money that he woke up, and ran greedily into an error for reward. Is, um, I don't know if Spurgeon said that, but we'll say it. Um, William Henry said that. Balaam taught what other people really just wanted to hear. Um, 
He was marketable. What was marketable? What, he, he became a prophet for hire. He, he started teaching what could possibly fill the churches. And, and, and so we still see this in the church today. You know, people who bend the gospel, you know, teaching what is popular for the culture and what will bring in the crowds. And, and also, you know, so much has been said about the prosperity gospel, but it's really hard to hear about Balaam, about Balaam taking a big fat check to go against God. Um, it's hard to hear about that without thinking about the televangelists who prey on the weak and the desperate and the lonely. Um, you know, when I visit some of our older members in nursing homes, usually they're watching the Inspiration Channel, and there's usually one of these preachers on there asking for their money. And I'm like, oh. and these pastors prey off the impoverished so that they can live as kings, making promises that if you send so much money that you sow the seed, if you, you know, to help fund their, their jet or their stretch limo Bentley deal, then God will bless you because you are helping God's word spread into the world. And it's like, look, man, there's the internet, there's, pie, there's all kinds of ways. You don't have to buy a jet, okay? Um, God says stay away from people like this. Look, they're cool. Um, they probably are very, they have lots of money, uh, but their end will be just like Balaam, and trust me, you don't want to end like Balaam. And third example... <laughs> Uh, Jude says, some false teachers are like those who perish in Korah's rebellion. Well, who was Korah? Well, again, in Numbers, uh, Israel, yet again, in the wilderness. And at some point, this man named Korah got together with some other people, and, and, and they decided that they were going to attempt a coup, a takeover. And so they went up to Moses, and they said, Moses, uh, who made you boss? Like, who were you to tell us what to do? And, and so they 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 came at and said that we're going to be leaders now. We're in charge now, Moses. And so Korah, he couldn't have cared less that God had placed Moses in authority, that, that God had, had called and equipped certain people uh, for, for leadership. He rebelled against God's ordained authority and said, I want to be in charge now. They're like, oh, how common is that today, right? Uh, you know, Bible teachers out, you know, quote, doing ministry with no oversight, no accountability, an attitude of non-submissiveness. And I mean, unfortunately, we, I can't help but think of Robbie Zacharias, who we find out after the fact, you know, little to no accountability. I mean, he was the boss, what he said went. Um, but this also begs another question for us just to think about. Maybe you could talk about this when you go home. But in what other areas are churches today prone to hear about God's ordained leadership, like God's ordained authority, how he set things up to be? People or churches read that and they say, I, I don't like that. That just, that just doesn't sound very inclusive. Let's change it. Let's just change it. I mean, could it be that in the name of being inclusive, we actually become false teachers? Well, as we read in Numbers, that's what Korah did. And things didn't end well for, for Korah. Uh, though what he said, it sounded good. I mean, like he's promising to lead Israel into this brighter future. But to go against God never ends well. Because in the end, Korah led to something, all right? He, his rebellion led to his, his family, and his followers' destruction. Be careful. Be careful who you follow. Um, Right, but then not only does Jude give us these examples of false teachers, he then goes a step deeper, which brings us to, to Jude's third lesson. 
and how to spot a wolf and its character. He gets into some character traits. You know, Jude, you know, we said at the beginning that Jude is different because it's a very poetic letter because he uses triads. There's 14 different triads throughout the letter. And, um, and here are, he uses two sets of triads to give us a better picture of what false teachers are like. Verse 12, he begins, he says, they're like hidden reeves at your love feast. You know, reeves uh, were, and I guess still are, extremely dangerous to sailors. All right, because if you're out on the, the water, uh, like you can't see the reef because it's just below the water line. And so as a, as a sailor, you're on your boat and you're looking out like, man, it's just beautiful open water, clear sailing. You're like, let's go. But that just beneath can lie a reef that can not only hang up your boat, but completely shipwreck you. I mean, just destroy you. And so here it is. False teachers have a way of causing Christians to stay hung up on things. And maybe it's their personal soapbox issues that they keep bringing up. Or maybe it's a certain political cause or whatever it is. But, but by, by causing Christians to stay hung up on things, it's actually causing our faith and our maturity and our growth to stall out. And, and we just never get to where we think we're going. And, and you know, Christians are, are kind of like sharks in, in the sense that sharks, you know, shark has to keep moving to breathe, right? For a shark to stop, they die. And so we too um, are called to move, called to follow. And what will contrast this false teacher with what Jesus said. You know, Jesus came and he said, he, he came to proclaim liberty to the captives. Like, like literally to get you unstuck, to just keep moving. Jew continues, false teachers feed themselves instead of feeding the sheep. Uh, they are waterless clouds and you know, in an agrarian world, and, and we know this in the Delta, don't we, that um, there are few things more pathetic than a nice, fat, dark cloud, rain cloud, that it looks like it's going to rain on your crop, and yet it doesn't do anything. It just passes over no rain, right? I mean, it's good for nothing. Well, like those clouds, the teachers, man, they put on a good show, they talk a good game, but they never deliver. And, and then notice the next description there. Uh, they are fruitless trees in late autumn. Y'all know in winter, most like all trees look the same, right? I mean, you can't, I can't tell the difference between a dead tree and a living tree in the winter because they all look dead. But there are times where growth happens and where trees produce leaves and then they produce fruit. And what he's saying is, is um, it's possible to look like, act like, talk like a Christian for a time. You can fit right in, but if the Spirit has taken root in their lives, then the Spirit will produce certain qualities over the long haul in our lives. And if those things aren't there, if there is no fruit, then they're dead. Um, Jude then says that they're like wild waves casting up the foam of their own shame. And you know, just like waves at the ocean, they don't stop. You, know, you go to the beach and like the soundtrack in the background is wave, wave, the waves crashing. He's saying false teachers have a way of making a lot of noise, <laughs> always seeking it. I mean, they never shut up, always posting. Um, but what they end up producing isn't a life marked by peace or rest. What they really end up showing is their shame. Um, well, contrast that with Jesus. You know, it, it's crazy that once Jesus got a huge platform, like he got the attention of the Romans, once that happened, it's like he stopped teaching. <laughs> 
Like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he said not a mumbling word. He's like the opposite of that. And then finally, Jude says, false teachers are like wandering stars. I mean, he says, like, they're just, it's a flash in the pan. Here, you know, they, they burn bright for a moment and then vanish into the darkness, never to be seen or heard from again. And the Bible reminds us that living for yourself does not leave you a legacy. That the only way to truly have a legacy is by following Jesus, because when it's all said and done, like he's going to be standing. Uh, and only what is done in him will last. So you want to be great. <laughs> Seek to make his name great. Okay? All right, so, so with all this, oh, I'm going to stay behind the pulpit. So with all this as a lesson on how to spot a wolf in our church, in our lives, what's the application? Well, as we close, y'all, this is just so simple. Uh, Jude quotes from, again, we said another thing that makes Jude unique is that it uses extra biblical literature. He quotes from the Apocrypha, which is not, it's not God's word, but it would be essentially like me quoting, I'm about to, I'm about to mention something about Wayne Gretzky. It, he's, he's using a modern-day contemporary example to convey what he's trying to teach. Um, and so this is, though it's technically not, it's not biblical, it's reminding us of something that we already know is true. The Bible says it's somewhere else. So it's this. God is the creator of the universe. God is the creator of everything in it. And so maybe this afternoon as you are outside, just look out the window, just say, man, God, you created all this. God's the creator of the universe. And God made us in his image to live for his glory. You know, that's the ultimate win, right? As, as we go to work, as we parent, as we cheer for state this week, like, like we do so for God's glory, as we worship for God's glory. But because of sin, we rejected God's good plan. And we said, no, I, I, I want to do for my glory. No thank you, God. And, and, and though God there in the garden, he had every right to just, just end this whole thing right now. Yet by grace, he didn't. By grace, he made a way for us to come back to him. A, a way of salvation that he sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty that we owe so that we could once again live before his face and we could once again glorify him. And, and what Jude wants us to see is to do anything other than that is to reject God's good plan and is to be what the Bible calls ungodly. And, and so Jude reminds us of the grim future of the ungodly. And again, like being ungodly isn't just about doing bad things. I mean, ungodly people can do some really great things for humanity. But being ungodly is primarily about rejecting, rejecting the good one, Jesus. And so by mentioning Enoch, the application becomes super clear, super easy. Here it is. In this fallen world, like 2021, Greenwood, Mississippi, you're about to walk out of these walls into, into this world. We've got to know that the way of Cain, the way of Balaam, and the way of Korah, like that is the way. Like, that's what everybody's going to tell you to do that. That's the way we pursue. That when you don't get what you think you deserve, what, you don't, what you're entitled to, then you have every right to be ticked. You have every right to go out and get it. Um, you have every right to be angry when you don't get that. Two, it, it shows us that, that, man, who cares about obedience? I mean, obedience is so blah right now, right, in 2021. Show me the money, Right? It's all about the money. 
I mean, can, can obedience provide for my family? I mean, we become very practical or, or pragmatic. Just give me the money. I don't care what I have to do. Just give us the money. Um, business dealings, you know, compromising, compromising what we know the, the God, Bible teaches and the following the Jesus way to make more money. Uh, and, and then three, this is the, the core. Like, if you don't like what God said, <laughs> just change it. It's no big deal, right? Just change it. Who cares? That's what our world will say. Um, but here Jude says, don't follow the way of Cain. Don't follow the way of Balaam. Don't follow the way of Korah. But rather, remember Enoch. Well, if you remember from Genesis, just like us, Enoch lived in a very ungodly time. Actually, probably more so. If you read, the first, you know, if you read Genesis, you're like, this is the craziest time ever. Enoch lived in a very ungodly time. And yet what little we know about him is he was described as someone who walked with God. And as you read the Bible, you, you learn that that's about the highest compliment the Bible ever pays someone. You know, when typically when God's people were doing all right, they were walking with God. When, things, when all hell was breaking loose, not so much. It's one of the highest compliments the Bible can pay. So that's it. I mean, that, that's it. So how... How do we not only flee from wolves, but also have the, the power to stand and fight wolves? It's just following the good and true shepherd. It's going back to Jesus. It's walking his way. It's been said that when Wayne Gretzky was only two years old, um, that he'd sit in front of the TV mesmerized by hockey. He would just sit there and watch these hockey. Is it a match? Hockey game? Um, and his parents said that when the game ended, he'd cry because he couldn't understand how something that beautiful could ever end. Well, as believers, that's what it's like to follow the Jesus way, right? I mean, how could news that beautiful, that you are forgiven and loved by God, how could, that ever, how could you ever get enough of that? But thankfully, unlike Wayne Gretzky, we don't have to cry because as Hebrews tells us, we follow the one who is the same yesterday, today, and, and forever. That Jesus not only promises to be with you in this life as we follow him, but he also promises that we, that you will be with him in the next. Which means this, this life of following him now doesn't end. Like that's what all of life and eternal life is about, is continuing to follow, follow, follow. And so I want to remind you and just to invite you to fight the wolves, um, not by complaining all the time or by grumbling or being discontent, but fight the wolves by staying in the path of the gospel, by, by going back to Jesus and following the true, the good, and the beautiful way. Okay. Well, let me pray for us. Father, may you cut through all the noise and all the chatter and all the theological stuff that preachers do. And Lord, just bring us back to Jesus. May it be just that simple in our lives that make us desire to glorify you, to enjoy you in all that we do. And Lord, teach us that we can do that most easily just by following the Jesus way. Uh, Lord, help us to love Jesus more than we love our sins and ourselves. Uh, Lord, help us to hate our sins uh, and to live to Christ. And Lord, we ask that you would bless us as a result of that. Help us to see the false teachers.
um, the false gospels, the false things that just creep into our lives, our families, our church, that aren't the gospel. Help us to pick them out and, and then to flee or to fight. Um, and we ask this in Christ. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.